This, uh, this weekend I had an opportunity to be in uh, St. Thomas for a couple of days with my uh, son and his baseball team. And uh, this is kind of the first tournament they've been in. And, and, and this is a, a hard transition for me because I'm not coaching. So I have to try to somehow keep my mouth shut as often as I can and just cheer. And I'm variously unsuccessful with that. One of the things I notice with them is that, um, and, and we have three kids, and, and, and children need to be reminded of the same things over and over again. Um, you don't just sort of tell them how life works and then sort of send them off and they're fine. And, and I notice with these kids, as you're coaching them, you're coaching them, you're, t- you're telling them stuff. I mean, I'm not coaching, but I'm just saying. You need to tell them the same things over and over again as they're reminded of it. But what I noticed is over the weekend as they're playing several games, by the time their last game, they're actually playing really well because they've started to internalize the stuff that's going on and they're, the, the repetition or the habit of it, now they're immersed in it and it's beginning to kind of come out naturally, instinctively when suddenly they have to, to make a play. One of the things I said to you a couple of weeks ago is we've been studying God's design for us when it comes to uh, marriage, singleness, and sex, is that we have been, whatever we're soaking in is what we absorb. Whatever we're immersed in for a longer period of time is what begins to permeate us and what naturally comes out of us. And what I said was, the truth is that when it comes to God's design, or, or really when it comes to understanding marriage, our lives as a married person, understanding our lives as a single person, maybe who's wanting to be married or decided they're not going to be married, understanding our lives as sexual beings, what we are soaking in is the culture around us. And unfortunately, the culture around us in various ways has some wisdom in these areas, but has a lot of foolishness. And in many respects, many of us could give testimony to the fact that we have experienced perhaps chaos in those areas of our, of our lives. Or perhaps we look around and we say, well, gosh, like I'm trying to live this life as a married person, as a single person, but I don't, there's not a lot of people that I would want to emulate because it seems like there isn't as much chaos as I am. And so to realize, well, when I'm soaking in that, that's what's beginning to permeate my life and that's what's coming out of me. And so actually as Christians or as people who, who come to God and say, well, we want your ways for our lives, we need to actually soak in God's ways and let them begin to permeate our lives and realize, well, that's not what we're used to sort of being, that's not what we're used to absorbing, so that's not what naturally comes out of us. This week, we're kind of at the end of that series, and so if you're just coming in new, I'd encourage you, if you you feel like you're at a stage in life where you want some instruction or guidance or help or just to think through what does it mean to be a married person, what does it mean to be a single person, what does it mean to acknowledge sexual desires that I have that maybe I feel like I can't fulfill or according to God's law, how does this work? and God's design, that you might go back, those messages are online, but um, a few of the highlights from that that we've covered, here's, here's, here's where we've been, and so hopefully this is a reminder to you as I'm saying things we've said before, to realize the beginning of this journey that I'm pursuing my happiness, but God is pursuing my holiness. Not that he doesn't want me to be happy, but my pursuit of happiness is not the way actually to embrace the life that I've always wanted, that actually God has holiness and plans for me, and so that everything is going on in my life right now some of it maybe making me happy, some of it making me unhappy, that God has a purpose to make me holy. That if you're in marriage, we said the two words of marriage are not if you, which is the co- contract language, if you do this, I'll do this, but the two words of marriage are I do. No matter what you do, I do. And we said that the love list in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, one of the letters to the early church, is our charter as someone who has said I do in marriage. We said that to be single is not second best, but a higher and greater calling to be used by God for his purposes. And that if we think, well, we're single, but we might be married one day, that in fact, as we do that, we will become the person the person we're looking for is looking for. 
So rather than trying to find Mr. Right or Mrs. Right, that as we pursue God's plan for our lives, we become that person, the person we're looking for is looking for. We also explored this idea of sex. What is sex in marriage? Sex is both radical self-donation where we give ourselves away and radical self-disclosure where in a sense we get naked and we said, you know what, that's why sex is meant to be expressed in the context of marriage because in marriage we're getting naked emotionally and spiritually as well. We are giving ourselves wholly to the other person. This isn't just something we do physically and hold back emotionally and spiritually. That sex in marriage is meant to express whole life oneness, the idea of one flesh means that we come together mind, body, soul. And that's why God has said, do this in the context of marriage. It completes intimacy in the context of marriage. And we said, look, out of the context of marriage between a man and a woman, sex ultimately is a sin. The scriptures say, not against God, although we know all sin is against God. It says sexual sin is a sin against ourselves. In other words, we hurt ourselves when we take sex and we start to do things with it that God has not designed us to do, when we practice it in our own ways instead of according to God's design. And so really God's law for us in the area of sexuality is for our good. And that we're meant to try to understand, okay, how do I embrace that? How do I take that into my life? And we said that one of the ways that our culture has gone sideways with sex is thinking, well, this is, in this kind of strange dichotomous view, it's kind of nothing, it's no big deal. What's wrong if you're doing it? But it's such a big deal that if I can't do it, I can't express myself. That somehow my sexual desires are a part of my identity. And so if God, if you're telling me as a single person I can't be sexually active, you're telling me as someone who has same-sex attraction that I'm not supposed to have sex with someone of the same sex, well, that's, that's just ruining my identity. That's not letting me express who I am. What we said was no scripture has a higher view of our identity than our sexual identity. That scripture actually says there's something greater in life than sex. Imagine that. There's something higher, more beautiful, more powerful that transcends sexual desire, relationship status, and is even greater than our gender identity that who we are as children of God, made in the image of God, given good works on the earth to do and a fulfilling life and purpose, that that is a greater purpose. And so that if you're a single person or someone who may be struggling with same-sex attraction, you think, well, how could I not express this? Because God has given us something higher that married people, single people are all meant to capture that our identity is not how it, things are going in our relationship. Our identity is not whether we're able to express ourselves sexually or not. Our identity is who we have been made in, in the image of God and that we are brought into the family of God, which is the thing Tony talked about last week, that the longing, the deep longing that every one of us has for intimacy that many times we mistakenly assume will be found in marriage or will be found in a love partner to realize that is a colossal longing that no one person could possibly fill in your life and that even in the best of cases, God, you are at two people who say, oh yes, we have a great marriage. It is incomplete still at best and that God has brought us together as the family of God, a body a bride, a family, a diversity of relationships, not with socioeconomic status in common or affinity in common or life stage in common or skin color in common, but the fact that we together affirm that our identity is people who are children of God, loved by God, given a purpose to come together as a family. And so that really the completion of the longing for intimacy in your life is actually found in the church, in the family, not a building, but the community of God. Now, if we begin to understand that this is what God's design is, and maybe you've been listening over the last few weeks to this, or maybe this is the first time you're like, wow, that sounds 
idealistic. Sounds great. That would be great if I felt like I, I could even get close to that. See, part of the problem is when we hold up God's design for our lives and we begin to open the pages of scripture and the ideal of what God has called us to begins to come into view, the next realization is where we actually are in life. That's the ideal, but now the, the next realization is, well, what's really going on in my life? Well, I don't have a marriage like that. I, I don't have an I do marriage, I have an if you marriage. Or I'm trying to live as I do, but the person I'm married to is living as, if you do this, then I'll do this. Or maybe that person, that's my love list, 1 Corinthians 13, but the person I'm married to is just checked out. They're not invested in that. So that's the, the ideal, but I'm living in the real. See, when the, the gap between the ideal and the real, what comes into that gap for us when we suddenly see God's design and how things are supposed to be? And maybe some of us have had realizations these last few weeks to realize, well, I haven't been living my life at all like that. The gap, into the gap, comes frustration. God, how, how do I get there? How do I become that person? I feel like I fall so far short of that. Or the gap in the marriage that I have and that I want to be, and how does the person I'm married to get there? Or I'm not married, and ha I have all these desires, and, I, and then I, I can't fulfill them. Or can't seem to grasp or receive what, what I long for. Or perhaps even within the church, you realize, oh, I know the church is supposed to be like that, but I have frustration with people in this church family. Or don't feel like I'm able to receive the love that I so long for. Frustration comes into the gap between the ideal and the real. Guilt or shame comes into the gap. Every one of us has things in the ideal design of God that we look at and go, I've messed up. Maybe some of us feel like, I've messed up and I can't go back. I can't change the past. Some of us may be just starting to realize, oh no. I've gotten some emails from people going, I didn't know that this is what God, and now what do I do? Guilt and shame can come into our lives. Or maybe say, well, I didn't, you know, my first marriage dissolved. And, and I didn't realize my part in it, or I had some part in it, and I didn't have a marriage like that. And maybe you got remarried or you're dating or you're just like, well, now I don't know what to do and I can't undo that. And so guilt and shame come into the gap. Or maybe hopelessness, thinking, well, I don't know if this situation I'm in can ever change. Even though I'm trying to change, I don't know if this will change. Or I can't control what's happening around me. I can't make myself find somebody to live the rest of life with. Or is the prospect of being unfulfilled sexually the rest of my life, is that, how does that make me feel? Is, is, there's a hopelessness to it. Into the gap between the ideal and the real, the potential for frustration, guilt, shame, hopelessness comes. Which is why, in many respects, our culture says, well, forget the ideal. There's no such thing. We'd rather not know about how things are supposed to be, or that's just fairy tale land, it doesn't even exist. You define what's right for you, live according to your own eyes, try to do your, uh, what's right in your own eyes, try to do your best. Try to be a little bit better than you were yesterday. And don't worry about what you should be doing or what life's supposed to be like. That just sort of makes you feel guilty, so get rid of that. But we can't, we can't let go of the ideal. As we talk about what God's design is for our lives, remember this premise we said, like that God wants something for us. He needs nothing from us. 
So why would we not let go of this ideal that actually creates tension in our lives? The potential for frustration, guilt, shame, hopelessness. Why? Because it's beautiful. Because even if we could get a taste of it, it would be better than what we could ever make for ourselves. God's design for our lives as married people is beautiful. God's elevating goal for us as single people is beautiful. It's something good that he has given to us. And we can cut it off and say, well, there's no such thing and I'm just gonna live with what is, but we will miss out on beauty, which is what our heart longs for. We will miss out on joy and peace and fulfillment in life, which is what we're all seeking anyway. So we can't let go of the ideal. And yet, what do we do when we're living with the real and looking at the ideal? Into the gap comes God. This is the why the scriptures are called the gospel. The word gospel means good news. What is good news? The good news is that God has come into the gap. See, religion says this is the standard. And many of us have grown up in churches or religious traditions where we saw God as the, the God who was there saying, this is the standard and I'll just wait for you to get there. And every time you fail, I'm going to zap you. I'm going to whack you. Every time you fall short, every time you miss. And what religion does, it creates either self-righteous people who think they are living according to the standard or guilty people who are constantly aware of the fact that they're not. And so religions create self-righteousness on the one end and guilt on the other. And the good news is that God has come into the gap. Not just the one who says this is beautiful, but who has come into our world and lives with us in that and says, follow me in the midst of this. There is another way other than frustration, guilt, shame, and hopelessness. And that's what we're going to go into today. In Romans chapter 8. As we read this scripture today, I want you to listen. Don't read it yet. I want you to listen. I want you to listen to God's voice to you. The scriptures say about itself that this is a living word, that this is the voice of God. And so if you have been through this series struggling with that gap, if you have been feeling like you're falling short of what it's supposed to be or that you've missed the mark of what life was supposed to be, if you've been feeling guilty because you can't go back or shame or what's going on in your life right now or a sense of hopelessness, I want you to listen to God's voice to you, that God might speak to you this morning his words of life, that he would come into the gap that is in your life right now and speak his words of life and give you a way forward, lead you out of frustration, guilt, shame, and hopelessness. The Apostle Paul, who was a recent convert to Christianity when he was writing, in Romans chapter 7 is expressing this angst of wanting to do something and not being able to do it. I want to do what's right, and I can't do what's right. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And so who's going to rescue me from this mess? And he says, thanks be to God who has given us rescue through Jesus. And here's what he says in the next chapter, Romans chapter 8. Therefore, in light of what Christ has done, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. 
to be a sin offering, and so he condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to this flesh, but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their mind set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their mind set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. What does this mean? See, what Paul's saying there is just knowing God's design for your life will actually bring death. That's the law. In other words, when the standard is held up, every one of us falls short. As soon as we find out what the ideal is, all of us realize, that's not me. I'm judged. I'm condemned by this own standard. If I agree that it's beautiful, but I fall short. And so just hearing God's design is what Paul's referring to the law. In other words, when someone comes in and tells you how life is supposed to be, how your marriage is supposed to be, how you were supposed to act sexually, and you realize you haven't, all that you realize is, I'm condemned. And so God's design by itself is bad news. It's beautiful, it's compelling, but the bad news is, I fall short of it. And so that's what Paul says. All the law was able to do was bring death. But he says, thanks be to God because of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, the ideal became real, came into the gap. And what does he say? Because the law condemns every one of us. As I've been going through the series and reading through 1 Corinthians 13 and the list of how love is supposed to look like in my life, I realize I have to be honest. I don't love my wife like that. I don't love my kids like that. I have moments of patience. But if, if even five times out of 10, I'm patient, that means five times out of 10, I'm impatient. So can I really call myself patient? Could go either way. And I'm not even close to five times out of 10. We, we can only characterize ourselves with patience. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. We can only say we love if regularly that is our behavior. If I regularly do not keep any record of wrongs, if I'm regularly slow to anger, if I'm regularly patient, if I'm regularly kind, if nine times out of 10, that's what comes out of my life. And I realized I don't. Every one of us falls short. And so simply knowing God's design only leaves us with guilt. And the scriptures tell us that Christ came into the world. It says, Paul says, in the flesh. What does he mean? In other words, there was one man who lived according to the design of God perfectly. He did not fail. He did not falter in any step. And in fact, for those of you that are single, we talked about this, he lived the life as a single man, celibate, devoted entirely to the purposes of God. He faced the temptations we face. He loved, like 1 Corinthians says, we are meant to love. And Paul said, again, that's bad news if he's just the example and we're supposed to be like him somehow. Paul says, actually, no, when Jesus came in, he fulfilled all of the requirements of God's design, and therefore now all of the death that comes with it is put to death. In other words, we don't have to live up 
to that anymore. Nobody is, every one of us, you know, if the Holy Spirit could, if, if people in this room could see what really goes on in our lives, right? If we were to play the highlight reel of what's happened in the last week or the last month, wouldn't every one of us hang our heads? We've even forgotten some of it. And then we're like, oh, I forgot about that one. There is no more condemnation, Paul says, for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why? Because Jesus has become and fulfilled all of the requirements of God's design. And now all that is left for us is the Spirit. That's what we get. Instead, instead of death and condemnation, we get life. We get the Spirit. That Christ has come actually to wash away the record of our past. The scriptures tell us that he has taken our sins and removed them as far as from the east as from the west. In other words, when I'm looking east, I don't even know what direction this is. I cannot see west. This is how God sees us. That when he looks at us, he does not see our sin. Our sins are away from him. And so even though many of us are looking in the past, feeling guilty about what we've done, it's not what Christ sees when he looks at us. It's not what God sees when he looks at us because of what Jesus has done. In Christ, there is no condemnation, which is why we say, come to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Repent to Jesus. He's not someone who's saying, okay, you've done this. Now do this, do this, then you can fix this thing. I've done it. Your debt is canceled. Your past is wiped clean. The past you cannot change. The guilt and shame that you feel, I do not pronounce that condemnation over you because Christ has come and done all that you could never do. He has lived perfectly up to the design of God. So what do we get then? If we don't live according to the flesh, what does Paul say? We live according to the Spirit. Look at the very last line there. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Isn't that what we all want? Life and peace? Life, this vitality in our lives that transcends even our relationship status, that transcends our sexuality, that transcends our frustration, our guilt and fear. We want life, vitality. Say, God, no matter what is going on in my marriage, the marriage I don't have, the marriage I had, the marriage I want, or as a single person, these unfulfilled desires, no matter what is happening, I have life in me. Nobody can rob me of that. Isn't that what we want? That sense of vitality, even if I'm married to someone who's abdicated their responsibilities to love. Even if I look back now and realize that most of my life I have not lived according to God's design, that I want life now, that I can have life in the spirit now, and peace instead of anxiety, instead of guilt, instead of frustration, instead of hopelessness, that the peace of Christ comes into my life. Not because I'm knocking it out of the park, not because I'm batting a thousand, not because I can look back in the last week and say, yep, I did all that. Because in Christ there is no condemnation, therefore what I receive is what I could never have got for myself. I haven't earned it. I haven't bought it. It was given to me. The Spirit gives me life, no matter what circumstance I'm in, and peace. Instead of death, instead of guilt, instead of hopelessness, instead of frustration. Friends, this is the gospel. And this is what you and I, after digging up all this stuff, because I know, I know we've dug up a lot of stuff the last seven weeks, and then you're going into your home group and having to talk about marriage or singleness and sex and all this stuff. I know it's probably churned up a lot of stuff, 
And it would be bad news if we left it there and said, well, this is God's design and this is where you are, so somehow try to get there. So, you know, God has come into that gap and closed it through his son. And so what we receive now is life and peace through the Spirit. So what is left for us to do then if all that we could not achieve for ourselves is given to us in the Spirit? What is left to do? We're meant to receive it. The Scriptures say that God has given us a gift that we are meant to receive. That we are meant to receive the Holy Spirit. That we are meant to receive cleansing. That we are meant to receive forgiveness. That we are meant to receive healing and grace. And I said to you that the most important day in your relationship with God is today. It's always today. The past you can't change. The future you don't know. All you have is today. And as we say to God today, okay, I will embrace what you have for me. Even if I have not up to this point, I will today. When I realize that my life has been off kilter, out of orbit, according to your design. And I can acknowledge that in big and small ways, I'm living a bit of a life of chaos because of it. Today, I will receive what you give. Today is a new day. And what I said to you was, what the amazing thing that I have seen God do over and over and over in my life and so many people's lives is when we hear his voice today and say, okay, no matter what has happened today, I'm going to begin to follow you. Today, I'm going to receive all that you have for me, that somehow God through his spirit reaches back into the past we cannot change and heals us. I don't know how it happens, but he does it. And it is a miracle of his grace. And so where we wanted to end today uh, in, in this series is actually give you time in the service today to receive. And so we have people who are prepared to pray for you this morning. And they're going to be kind of uh, uh, all over the sanctuary. There's, um, two, there's a pair up there at the top of the stairs. Some of you don't want to come down to the front or you're closer up there. Jen and Jilda, can you guys just wave? And then Tony and Pat, you guys are going to be up there, right? Up at the top over there. And David and I will be down here. Lisa and Catherine will just be around the corner of the stairs when you came in, and then Steve and Gail will be up here. And so there's five different people. There's no specialty, just whatever. And we are ordinary, fallen people just like you, saved by grace. We're just simply here to serve you, to pray for you. If today is the day that you want to receive forgiveness, maybe you realize you've been feeling guilty, but you've never actually asked for forgiveness from Christ. You never actually asked for healing and cleansing. And maybe you can't go back and, and ask that person that you wronged for forgiveness. Maybe that ship has sailed. Maybe you can't go back and, and get a sorry from the person who wounded you. But you can still receive healing from Jesus. Doesn't matter what you can or can't get from that person in the past, you can receive all that you need from Christ today. And so if you need forgiveness or healing, or you say, I want that spirit, I want life and peace, I want the spirit to breathe life into my marriage, or to breathe life into me, regardless of what's happening in my marriage, or regardless if I'm not married, I want to have a full life, even though my culture says I can't have a full life unless I'm in love with someone or someone loves me, unless I'm sexually active, I can't have a full life, I reject that lie, and I want to receive the life of the spirit.
wherever you are in your stage of life. Maybe you're someone saying, well, I don't, I'm not even sure I'm into this whole God thing. That's okay. You can receive prayer and let him prove himself to you. And that is a prayer, if you pray from an honest heart, that I believe God was always answered. If you say, God, I don't even know if you're there, but if you are, can you prove yourself to me? If you have an honest heart about that, I believe God will do that. I believe that's perfectly legitimate to say. So it doesn't matter where you are. Now, some of you, girls are really good at this. Hey, you know, we, the girls take each other to the bathroom and stuff. But guys are always like, oh, I got to do this on my own. If you feel like you want to go, but you're not, can you just say, hey, can you come with me? If your friend's here, a family member, or whoever, just say, someone who, they used to say, hey, I need a wingman, wingwoman. What's, you guys have a term for that? <laughs> not really. Can you come up with me? <laughs> if, if you, if, if you want to go for your marriage, you're not sure your spouse is good, just say, hey, can you come with me anyway? And when you come up, you don't have to say, you don't have to, this isn't confessional. If you want to share what's going on, be specific and say, hey, pray for me. But if you just say, hey, uh, you know, can you just pray for life and peace for me? Or can you pray for forgiveness for me? Can you pray for healing for me? I don't think there's anyone in here that doesn't need this. I know I need that. And so we're going to open it up for you to respond that way. They also have anointing oil. Oil in the Bible and, uh, is this symbol of being set apart and belonging to Jesus. And I believe that the one thing I've listened in, in my mind through this whole series is the fundamental truth, the, the thing that we operate so much out of brokenness in our hearts is a false identity of who we are. And that false identity sabotages our lives as single people, our lives as married people, and our sexual uh, identity. It messes us up because we think, well, I, I'm nobody unless somebody thinks I'm somebody. I need to be of utmost significance of someone of utmost significance. And if I'm not, and that's a false identity. And so the anointing oil, and, and they will ask you if they can anoint you, they don't have to, and you, you say, no, I don't like that. It kind of weirds me out. There's nothing special about this oil. It smells nice, so that's good. It's not like motor oil. Um, <laughs> but they're just going to put the sign of the cross on your forehead. And what that means is this person belongs to Jesus Christ. And so as they're praying for you, they may say, hey, I think this person needs to know today that they belong to Jesus Christ, that their history, their, their past is wiped clean and their direction is heading somewhere else. You may say, yeah, yeah, I want that. And if you don't want that, you just say, no, that's okay, but keep praying for me. So whatever it is, don't miss out on a chance today to receive life and peace from the Spirit. And so in your bulletin, in the back of your bulletin on the screen, I've just listed a few things. And if, you, and if you decide you don't want to come forward, you're not sure yet, and you want to listen to the words of the worship team, the words, the songs the worship team have chosen are prayers that are over you, and you can be singing them or just listening to them and saying, yes, that's for me. But to ask yourself as you're sitting there, as you're coming, where do I need to repent and ask Christ to forgive or heal me? Where I have failed to love my spouse, my friend, my family member, in patience, kindness, not envying, not boasting or being proud, in rejoicing in who they are, protecting them, trusting them, not being easily angered, not keeping a record of wrongs. Where have I failed? I need to repent and I need Christ to forgive me and heal me. Where have I tried to have sexual oneness without spiritual and emotional oneness? Where have I taken sex and just taken it outside of God's design and in the end hurt myself and so I need healing? Maybe you were in a past relationship where you felt like those things were forced upon you. Maybe it was outright abuse or maybe you just know that's not what you wanted. It's not how you had planned your life to go. And you want healing for that. Like I said, you can't go back to that person now, but you can still get healing in Jesus. Perhaps where, where your relationship status or sexual desires have defined you instead of being a dearly loved child of God made in his image. Ask for Christ to forgive you and heal you. 
Or perhaps where do I need the spirit to lead me, fill me, and empower me to let go of guilt and freely embrace the forgiveness of Christ? When he says, Jesus, if you see me that way, I need to see me that way because I keep looking in my past. I need you to release me and give me freedom to, to live out his purposes and to gain life and peace. To give you the power to love like Christ has loved you. To help you find deep, fulfilling relationships in your church family or to trust him to lead you into God's design for your life, your marriage, your sexuality. Those are just a few things. Maybe there's other things that have come up, but the worship team's gonna come up now and just lead us in songs of response. And whenever you're ready, you can head up the aisles or down here, down here, back there. You need a wingman, grab them. But don't miss out on the opportunity to be prayed for, to receive healing, forgiveness, and the filling of the Spirit. Let me just open up this time in prayer, and then we'll go. Lord Jesus, we thank you that through you we have life and peace, that the Spirit that is given to us is meant to dispel guilt, shame, fear, hopelessness, frustration. And so do your healing, empowering, filling, restoring, forgiving work this morning because it is in your name that we pray all these things. Amen.